As all of you probably remember from high school, Abraham Lincoln famously said, you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> right? He didn't say that? Somebody, I, no, he's something like that. Here's the thing. We live in a, a society and, and in a time that may just go down in history as the fake news era, right? And, and, and so much so that we have coined this new phrase, fake news, and then we argue about what it means. And, but the bottom line is this. Like no other generation in history, we are inundated with information that comes through to us from all kinds of ways. Often, there is no validating filter, right? So we read stories, we hear reports, we, we get quotes and information that is often looks real because it, it has, you know, the, the format of something real, but it's not true. And, and it happens over and over and over again. Did you, uh, how many of you have uh, Facebook? Raise your hand. It's okay to admit it in church. God won't smite you. Um, if you have Facebook, probably sometime in the last two weeks, you got a message from somebody about Jaden K. Smith and how he is about to take down the world because he is going to hack everyone's computer by getting into your list of Facebook. And if anybody named Jaden K. Smith does request, don't let him be your friend, and send this message to all of your friends so they won't let him be their friend, because if he does, he will get everybody's private information, he'll have everybody's, uh, and he'll basically take down the world. Here's the thing, there is no Jaden K. Smith, and if there was a Jaden K. Smith, he could not get any of your private information by becoming your friend on Facebook. That is simply not how it works. Now, I know I don't have to tell you guys because all of you know that, right? Except at least a dozen of you sent me that message last week. <laughs> and I appreciate you watching me and my contact list. But here's my point. It looks real. I mean, it sounds real. And so we pass things along good-naturedly. We, we want to help, and, and, and that's what ends up happening. And guys, by the way, it has gotten so far out of hand with the, you know, with the news reporting that it's not a question of whether there is fake news anymore. It is a question of whether there's legitimate news anymore. Just because just about every news agency is slanted in one direction or another, just about every reporter is slanted in one direction or another, and it seems like just yesterday that it was the absolute um, you know, standard of, of reporting that you must always be independent, that you must never be pushing your own agenda. But all of us know, and we don't have to be told, if you television stations, and if you want news from the right, there is one television station, and, and you, can, you can get slanted fake news from both. And so we're left in a place where we go, how do we know what's true? And what's sad about it is not just that we're often misled, but that as a culture, we are losing our trust in truth. And we're getting to the point where we sort of shrug our shoulders and go, can you ever really know anything for sure anymore? That's a bad thing. Some of the news stories that we hear online 
Um, some of the news stories that we see on television, some of the reports that we get in our social media, all that kind of stuff de- um, deceives us and leads us off track so often. And even if it's harmless, just the amount of time and energy that we spend on it is just an absurdity, and we lose credibility in the eyes of others. So it's frustrating not knowing whether something is true or false. I think we all understand that living and AIDS but it gets really serious when we start talking about fake spiritual news when we start talking about news or information that is about the most foundational things of human life and we don't get that right now we're in some real serious trouble and there are all kinds of names for it we call it false teaching we call it heresy call it good old-fashioned deception, but whatever you call it, it has been around since the Garden of Eden, and it hasn't gone anywhere, and there's always going to be people who are trying to deceive, and some of those people don't even know they're lying. So that adds to the problem. And so this is a problem that's as old as human time. And too often, just like the well-meaning internet warnings that we get that turn out to be bogus, the people spreading the lies are trying to help because they're telling you what they think is true. Have you ever heard someone speak confidently about how the Lord is telling them something? And you go, how do they know it's God? Or is it just me? Have you ever had that? right? So somebody speaks just with great confidence and they look very churchy. And, and, and they say, you know what? Just the other day I was praying, the Lord told me, fill in the blank. And you go, huh, how do they know it's from the Lord? Or, or people talk about how God is leading them to do this or to do that. How can they be so sure? And, and a lot of times then we even just begin to judge ourselves and go, man, I never hear from God like that. I hope one day I'm that spiritual. I hope one day I'm as mature as that person. Or God forbid, if we disagree with a person who has heard from the Lord, we're now disagreeing with the Lord, right? So it gets a little bit tricky. Or you hear some radio um, TV or some television preacher or some, something that comes across your newsfeed in the internet or, or even go and visit the church or whatever the deal is. And there's somebody standing up there with a Bible in his hand and he's eloquent and he is, and he is um, teaching and he is preaching and he is t- talking about this bit of scripture and that bit of scripture and this bit of scripture and putting it all together and giving you a new teaching that has never been heard before. And you think, man, how do I know if he's right? Because there's another guy in another building holding the same book who's saying something different. And how in the world do we ever tell whether what we're hearing from one teacher is right and what we're hearing from another teacher is wrong? And how can we know for sure? And so again, it puts us in the situation just like with internet hoaxes. It puts us in this situation where we tend to just shrug our shoulders and go, ah, I'll let the experts figure it out. And Lord knows I'm no expert. But we live in a postmodern culture. And it used to be that not so long ago that our culture was fascinated by just the facts, man. Whatever can be scientifically proven, that's what I'm interested in. Have you noticed in the last 10 years the trend towards spirituality? We're becoming a very spiritual culture. 
culture. People are very interested in spiritual things. And, and I know you've heard this. I know I, I've heard this many times when I try to talk to people about Jesus. And they say, well, listen, you know, um, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right? Have you heard that? That's a very common thinking these days. I'm spiritual. We're, we're, we've stopped sort of denying that there's a spiritual nature to being human. But... Because uh, our culture is not sure you can ever know what's true and what isn't true, we just agree that everybody can be spiritual on their own path and see where it takes them and that'll be fine. And so we shrug our shoulders and go, I'm spiritual, but I'm not really sure where to go beyond that. Now we've been in the book of 1 John now for the entire summer and we're going to continue in 1 John. Today we're going to be in chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 John not the Gospel of John, 1 John, all the way toward the back, just before you get to Revelation, you come to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I want you to go to 1st John, chapter 4, and while you're going there, I want to remind you of what we looked at last week in chapter 3, verse 24. So let me read you 1st John 3, 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, meaning God, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given to us. We know that we are of God because of the Spirit of God whom has been given to us, right? And, and He says that is the mark. This is how we know. This is how we remove doubt about our own spiritual condition. Does the Holy Spirit of God reside in my life? And He says, if the Spirit resides in your life, then you are of God. Now listen, if you've been around church for any length of time, if you've investigated Christianity to any extent, or if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you're in a dangerous situation on one count. We have gotten to the place where we take the Holy Spirit for granted. And that's a dangerous situation. I mean, think about this. I'm going to ask you a personal question. I know it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing, but just bear with me. Raise your hands. How many of you, it's what time? It's uh, 11, quarter to 12, which means we'll be done in an hour or two. Um, how many of you, quarter to 12 on a, on a Sunday, how many of you have been to the bathroom today? Yes, and we thank you for that. Okay? Now, how many of you, when you left the bathroom this morning, went out wildly enthusiastic, praising God for flush toilets? Went, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I am so glad I have a flush toilet. Thank you, Jesus. Because listen, here's an axiom. You can write this in your notes. Life without flush toilets stinks. Rachel, don't look at me like that. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> so, but you know what? We never think about it. You will think about it the next time you're at an outdoor concert and you go to one of those porta potties. Or you will think about it the next time God sends you to a third world country where the idea of indoor plumbing is just not even thought of. But, but we're used to it and we take it for granted. Uh, or how about this? When was the last time you met a child who has polio? No, we don't have children with polio almost never anymore. Why? 
vaccines. Now, I know vaccines are controversial. I'm not here to make a stand on vaccines. All I can say is this. I'm really glad children aren't getting polio anymore, right? We don't think about polio. We don't pray, Lord, please don't let this child be born with polio. We don't worry about it anymore for the most part because we take it for granted. How about this? It's nighttime. It's pitch black. You walk into your house. What is the first thing you do? Do you praise God for the electricity? Do you realize how great it is to live in a place where you touch a button and in the pitch blackness, everything lights up? Like, it's astonishing. We just take it for granted, you know? Talk to Dave Denstead about his childhood before electricity, and he will tell you. (laughs) It wasn't always like that, right? We take it for granted. Listen, one more. Think about this. Think about this is maybe the greatest. This blows my mind. Think about this. We live in a time where you could take out your phone, touch a couple of places on the screen, and someone will deliver a pizza to your house. Are you kidding me? You talk about just the grace of God showered on our nation, right? It doesn't get any better than that. But we're so used to it, you guys. We take it all for granted. We rarely think about it until it's gone. And then we get mad at somebody, right? We take it for granted. I'm afraid we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sort of the member of the Godhead who's been relegated to the bench. And a lot of times, we don't even give the Holy Spirit any thought. But check this out. The same Spirit who empowered Jesus' miraculous ministry on earth is the same spirit who indwells every single follower of Christ today. The spirit of God, God himself, lives within every believer. And so what that means is that we don't have to say, I only get access to God when I come to a fancy building with stained glass windows. We don't have to say, I only get access to God when there's some sort of priest who can act as an intermediary between me and God. I don't only get access to from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. I get access to God at every moment of every day, all of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his insight, all of his truth, all of his encouragement, all of his sustaining power is available to me simply because I am a child of God and he indwells every believer. Is that good news? Oh my goodness. And we rarely think about it. And so we're, we're guilty sometimes of taking the Holy Spirit for granted. And I want to tell you another thing that we're often guilty of taking for granted. We take this book for granted. We are so accustomed to the fact that the very words of God himself are printed in ink and paper and bound in leather and placed in our hands that we have access to the word of God at any given moment should blow our ever-loving minds. And most of us take our Bibles out on Sunday, bring them with us to church, and then they gather dust on the shelf Monday through Saturday. And we just take for granted that the very Word of God has been given to us. And we figure, I'll get to it when I get to it. These two gifts create this perfect balance that God has given us, his Holy Spirit on the one hand and the Bible on the other hand. And 
And he has given us this perfect balance so that we can relate to him subjectively on an individual basis, each one of us, because there are times when what God needs to say to me or do in my life is not what God needs to say to Robbie or do in his life. And there are times what God needs to say to Sandra or do in her life has nothing to do with what he's doing in Robbie's life, right? So the Holy Spirit gets to have an uh, a direct access to us so that he can customize what he's doing in our lives. It's an incredible thing. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Christianity is just a philosophy or a school of thought. Christianity is a relationship with God where, where the um, Holy Spirit uh, works within the lives of every believer personally and individually 24-7. And on the other hand, what do you do when everybody's relationship with God is personalized and subjective? And one person says, God says left, and the other person says, God says right. What do you do when one person is convinced that God says up, and the other person says, God says down? What are we supposed to do when there's so many of us walking around going, well, the Holy Spirit's within me, and the Holy Spirit is telling me, and it disagrees with what the Holy Spirit is apparently telling you? So God, in His incredible wisdom, has not just given us the subjective relationship with the Holy Spirit, but He's given us the objective truth of the written Word of God that never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And it's the same for you as it is for me. And it's the same for us as it was for the people in Rome in the year 1951, as it was for the people in Japan in the year uh, 1216, and so forth. His Word is the perfect filter through which we can judge what we think we understand to be coming from the Holy Spirit. So we have both the subjective and the objective in God. And so I want us to go back to 1 John now chapter 4. And I want us to read these first five verses of 1 John chapter 4 together and see what John has to tell us on this subject. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. So I, I don't want to get off on a tangent here about spiritual warfare or things that are going on in the spiritual realm, but I do want to make sure we understand what he's talking about when he talks about testing the spirits, because he says there is a spirit that is in this world that is influencing this world. And he says that there is a spirit of God that is speaking to believers and that the spirit of God exists in believers and the spirit of this world exists in this world and they are at odds with one another. What he's describing is what we commonly call spiritual warfare. And basically what he's saying is, listen, not everything is what you can see. Now, Satan is a spiritual being. He's an angel. He was created by God. He was created by God for the glory of God. And he was the angel Lucifer. But as you probably have heard, he rejected God, he rebelled against God, and he fought for God's authority, and God cast him out of heaven. And he cast him out of heaven along with one-third of the angels who sided with him. And so a full 
third of the angelic host was cast out of heaven along with Lucifer. And, and now we know him as Satan. And um, if you were to ask the average person, where is Satan? If you believe in Satan, tell me where Satan is. The average person would tell you that Satan is in hell, right? Isn't that what you've seen in the cartoons? Satan is the boss of hell, right? He's the guy who's in charge. He's the guy who assigns the rooms in hell. That's what we've been taught. Satan is not in hell. The scripture tells us Satan is not in hell. Where does the scripture say Satan is? He's roaming the earth, right? Now, he's going to get there. We've read the end of the story. He's going to get there. In fact, the scripture tells us that hell was created for Satan, right? And, and so he's going to be in hell, but he's not in hell. He's actually active on the earth, and God has allowed him a certain amount of authority, a tremendous amount of authority, a tremendous amount of power to um, participate in the activities of earth. And so there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm that is, that is not from God at all. It has to do with Satan himself. And it has to do with that legion of angels that we now call demons who've been cast out of heaven. And, and Satan loves to deceive people. And he loves to lead people astray. And the question is, well, if, if we know that he exists, how do we keep falling into his traps? Why do we keep le getting led astray? How does he lead us astray in the first place? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an illustration that's going to help you understand this really easily. How many of you have a dog or ever have had a dog, right? Let's say your dog gets sick. You take him to the vet, you, you write your check for $14,000, and then gives you your dog back, right, along with the prescription, and you get the pills, you got to give the dog pills. Now, do dogs just step up to the counter, take the glass of water, and is that how they take pills? No. So if you have to give a pill to your dog, how do you do it? Yes, you wrap it in whatever they really like, right? You just wrap it in whatever they really like. And that dog will eat anything, right? You wrap it in raw hamburger, that dog's going to eat it, right? And we know that. That's how you get him to swallow what he doesn't want to swallow. You wrap it in what he's interested in. And that is exactly what Satan does with us. He just takes falsehood. He wraps it in a little bit of spirituality. He gives it a little bit of a Bible verse for a quote, for a coding, and he wraps it all up and serves it up to us on a platter, and we gobble it down and call it good spiritual food. And that's what he does. He tries to get us to swallow his deception the same way. He, he, he uses all kinds of approaches. He uses shows of spiritual power. Guys, listen. You don't have to respect Satan. You never have to talk to Satan. You don't have to deal with Satan. You have been protected against Satan, but here's what you do have to do. You have to recognize Satan's power. He's been given tremendous power. And if you're ignorant to that, then you are going to fall prey to it. And so he's been given tremendous power, and he loves to do shows of spiritual power in order to lead, lead people astray. Let me give you an example right out of Scripture. Remember when God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go? He went to Pharaoh and said, I've been speaking with God, and God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughed at him and said, who's this God? Why should I listen to him? And so what did, what did uh, Moses do? He took his staff and he threw it on the ground, and what happened? It became a serpent, right? Amazing. Everybody went, whoa, okay, maybe he is from God. And then Pharaoh's magicians walked up and took sticks, threw them on the ground, and they became snakes too. Oh, how do you do that? 
I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know if it really happened. I don't know if it was an optical illusion. I know this. I was watching TV a few years ago, and David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I saw it with my own eyes, right? I don't know how those magicians did that. Here's what I know. I know that Satan is not afraid to use shows of spiritual power in order to deceive people into following him and leading people astray. And so he does that, and you see that more and more in cultures where the measuring stick of spiritual truth is power. And so anywhere where you have paganism and tribal religion and all that kind of stuff, and you have witch doctors, man, I'm telling you, I've been in those settings and those situations where literally there's a witch doctor five feet from me trying to interrupt me while I'm preaching, and you go, wow, this is serious, right? And, 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 and don't think that there is no power going on there. And the people have seen it, and the people know it. And you say, why is that? Why is it that we don't see that kind of stuff happening here? Well, it's, to me, very simple. Satan is deceptive. That's the point, right? So in a place where it's all about, I'm going to give my allegiance to the one who shows the most power, it's a battle of power. And that's what you see in tribal areas. You see it all the time. That's why you see missionaries who, who've been here all the time and never seen anything like that. And then they go into those kinds of places and they see it and come back with stories. And you scratch your head and go, is that real? And I don't know how to explain it. I can just tell you that Satan is feeding people what they're used to seeing and trying to get them to swallow it, right? So why doesn't he do that here? Because here his, his uh, whole lie is, listen, you don't need God. You don't need spiritual life. What you need is money and comfort and ease. Just go that route. Don't even worry about the spiritual world. So he's not manifesting himself in those kinds of ways. He becomes like an angel of light and leads people astray. Another way that Satan loves to lead people astray is, uh, is through morality, he, he just, he sends us this message that we go, oh, moral people are right with God. People who do good things, nice people, you know, good neighbors, people who help others out, all that kind of stuff, people who live with a high level of morality and integrity, those people are right with God, as if somehow our works equates the, the favor of God. And, and he convinces us that we somehow just need to work enough and do enough good works. I wish I had a dollar for every conversation I've had with somebody. And I ask them about what's going on with them and God. And what they say is, listen, I don't really know the answers to all of that sort of stuff. But I could tell you, I'm a good person. And I've done a lot of good works. And yes, I've done some bad things. But the bad things are not major. And when I stand before God, I'm going to be very comfortable measuring my good against my bad. The problem is you've got to measure your good against his holiness. And, and so we're lost, but Satan just keeps selling that it's about morality. He sells that it's about religion. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Your way is fine. My way is fine. Let's not judge one another. Let's not argue. All roads lead to heaven. As long as you're religious, I'm sure God will understand and it will be just fine. And people are lulled into a false sense of security and comfort while they're being led to the slaughter. Even some exciting... Um, Amazing things that you see with your own eyes are not necessarily from God. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's from God. 
And, and even some teaching that you've heard with your own ears and you've seen the crowd whipped into a frenzy and people are so excited with this teaching. And he, he took a verse from here and a verse from there and he stuck it all together and he said, look, this is a new truth and the people are wowed and the people are amazed. And you heard it and went, gosh, it really made sense when he said it. It doesn't mean it's truth. And so Paul addresses this over and over Go to Galatians chapter 1, because we've been hearing from John. Let's see what Paul has to say. New Testament, book of Galatians, right before Ephesians. And go to Galatians chapter 1. Now, the Galatians, these are beloved brothers to him. These are Christians um, that he used to be in their midst, and now he's away from them. And so he's writing back, and the first five verses of Galatians 1 are his typical greeting. Hey, everybody, this is Paul. How's everybody doing? I've been praying for you. I hope God's grace rests in you. And then he gets to verse 6, which is the first thing he says of any theological substance. And he gets to verse 6, and he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. So there's no beating around the bush. He just jumps right in and goes, you know what I've been hearing about you guys? That you're rejecting the true gospel. And then he says, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, meaning the apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what, you have, what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said it before, so I say it again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. He basically repeats himself two verses in a row and says, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the most respected religious leader in the world. I don't care if it's Billy Graham and the Pope and the Dalai Lama all wrapped into one. I don't care who is standing before you if he preaches a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that you have received in the word of God, then it's a false gospel. Well, I didn't hear it from a person. I had an angelic vision and an angel stood before me. Even if an angel, he says, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which you have received from us in the word of God, you have received a false gospel and he is to be accursed. Well, who is a cursed angel? A demon. And so he writes basically the same thing to the Corinthians. And we won't take the time to look it up, but you can write it in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. He says basically the same thing. I don't care who it is that comes to you. He comes to you and he preaches a gospel that is contrary to the gospel you have received. It's false. So how do you test the spirits? How do you know whether a teaching you're getting is right or wrong? You have to compare it to Scripture. When Paul talks about the gospel that they had received from him, he's talking about the Word of God. And guys, this is, a, this is the problem with a, a primarily subjective approach to Christianity. When we are feeling our way to God and not allowing ourselves to be influenced by the truth of God's Word, we are going to be led astray. And, and it happens over and over again. The most common, a, a common one that you see today is what's known as the prosperity gospel, right? And, and by now, it's a well-known false teaching. But a lot of people don't think it's a false teaching. In fact, tens of millions of people around the world are just completely enveloped in it. And, and you know where you find it most? Wherever you find poor people. Wherever you find people who don't have material wealth and, 
and who are struggling, whether it's the inner city ghettos in America, whether it is the jungles of uh, Southeast Asia, whether it is the uh, migrant farm workers working up and down the coast of Southern California, wherever people are in poverty, there are these guys who are coming and preaching what is known as the prosperity gospel. And in a nutshell, the prosperity gospel says that it is God's will that all people will be happy, healthy, and wealthy at all times and never have to suffer. And if you're suffering and you're not happy, healthy, and wealthy at all times, the problem is not with God, the problem is with your faith. So you have to have more faith. You have to believe harder. And if you just believe as hard as you can, then you will get all of these wonderful blessings, right? And by the way, as you're watching this on television, at the end of the program, we're going to give you an address where you could show us how well you believe by sending a check to support our ministry. And guys, I've spent a lot of time now in sub-Saharan Africa and various countries, and I've run into the prosperity gospel problem wherever I have been. And what I have found is that in sub-Saharan Africa, these prosperity gospel uh, preachers come through and they promise that God is going to give you whatever you want if you just give enough. And they give. And I mean, they give eggs and melons and whatever they have. And they give and they give and they give. And they get poorer and not richer. And they get sicker and not healthier. And then the Muslims come along behind them and they build a clinic, and they treat the sick, and they build a school, and they educate the children. And they say, where's your Cadillac? Where's all the wealth that was promised to you? I think you've believed a false gospel. And they're right. They have believed a false gospel. The problem is they think the false gospel they believe is the real gospel. And so they reject Christianity, and instead are going in droves to Islam. And we see it again and again and again. And every pastor I talk to in sub-Saharan Africa that is not preaching the prosperity gospel is asking for help to combat the prosperity gospel because it's leading people astray. And it's God's messengers in nice suits with Bibles in their hands preaching impressive messages and people are being led astray. It's an epidemic. We see it also with signs and wonders. If someone can do something impressive, if someone comes up in a wheelchair and walks away on their own two feet, that gives validity to their message. So whatever they say must be true. Now listen, let me be as clear as I possibly can. Does God do miracles? Yes. Does God have the ability to heal the sick miraculously? Absolutely. God is able to do anything, and I have seen him do it, and I believe with all of my heart, and I pray for the sick that they will get healthy, and every now and then, there is a miraculous healing that takes place, and I'm blown away. I know God does it. I have received miraculous healing in my own body. I know for sure that God does it, so I am not saying God does not do the miraculous. What I am saying is this. When the validity of our faith is based on the signs and wonders that we think we see, we are easily led astray. And we've seen it again and again and again and again and again. And Satan is in the deception business. So what do we have? How do we stand against this onslaught? How do we combat this? Guys, I have great news. We have 
the Bible. That's where you're supposed to say amen. Let me say it again. We have great news. We have the Bible. Amen. Yeah. When I take it and hold it like this, that's when you know, right? You're supposed to, that's when I'm fishing for an amen. Okay. Now you'll be better educated. Um, guys, you got to understand, we take it for granted. It sits on our shelves getting dusty and God must be heartbroken as he watches and goes, I have done so much to give them everything they need. And they pass it by and will read an online article about the seven things that will make you happy this week, but will not read the Gospel of John. And guys, it's epidemic. And it's not just epidemic with them. It's epidemic with us. We have the Bible, and God's heart must be broken as it gathers dust on our shelves. Look again at what John writes in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 6, 1 John 4, 6, we are from God. He who knows God <clears throat> listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He, he says, you know how you can tell whether a person has the spirit or not? Whether they listen to us. Well, man, that's a bold thing to say. I mean, isn't that what all the false teachers say? When he says, listen to us, who's he talking about? The apostles. He's talking about those who have been gifted by God to speak God's words. He's talking about those who wrote the scriptures, inspired by God, every letter. And so he's, what he's saying is, those uh, who have the Spirit can measure ideas against the Word of God. And if the Word of God holds it up, then it's legitimate. That's how you test the Spirit's. In those days, they didn't have a bound copy of 66 books that we call the Bible today. In those days, the Bible was still being written, but the authority of the apostles was the Word of God, and that's what we now have in written form. What we call our New Testament, they thought of in terms of the authority of the ones doing the teaching. So when he says we are from God, he's talking about being one who speaks with the authority of God himself. In other words, he's saying that whatever you may feel, whatever you may think, and even what you experience has to bow to the authority of Scripture. That's the bottom line. So if I'm not comfortable with a clear teaching of Scripture on some subject, I'm not comfortable. I don't like what the Scripture says about uh, loving sacrificially. And I like the kind of love that the world sells where I just sort of take and take and take, and I don't like what the Scripture says about that, then I'll just pass that by. Guys, if what you think is contrary to what Scripture says, you're wrong. Because God's never wrong. So I don't, I don't like what the Bible says about sexual purity and, you know, times have changed and people just don't think that way anymore. And God needs to get with the program and understand that we're enlightened now and we have other ideas. Listen, I don't say you have to like what God says in his word about everything, but he's God. He's right. And, and until we bow to the authority of scripture, we are never going to know how to test the spirits. We're never going to have a standard other than our own ideas. And guys, I don't know how well you trust your own ideas, but I've lived with myself for a while and I'm not impressed. <laughs> we need to be in the Word of God because our enemy is good. 
He is good at deceiving. He is good at confusing. He is, he is good at leading people astray by wrapping falsehood in something that we're used to seeing and calling it good. And we don't have time to cover this, but, but there's this amazing picture of spiritual warfare that, that Paul outlines for us. Really, in 2 Corinthians, you can write this in your notes, look it up when you get home. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, he says this, and, and I'll just quote most of it for you. He says this, The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God. The pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Spiritual warfare is not about guns and bombs, he says. It's about thoughts. We have to think what's true. We have to believe what's true. And we can't take a subjective approach to that. We have to let the Word of God be our, our standard. Philippians chapter 4, you know that famous passage where he says, hey, don't be anxious for anything. And then he, he goes on and here's what he says. He says, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is of good repute. And he goes on down the list. He says, let your mind focus on these things and the peace of God will guard your hearts. You get to choose what you think about. We better choose to think that truth is truth. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to win this spiritual war that's all about believing truth and thinking the right thoughts? How are we going to win this spiritual war? Very simple. I'm going to be just incredibly practical here. Read your Bibles. Stop counting on a preacher to stand up every Sunday and give you food that's going to last you for the rest of the week. You need to be feeding in the Word of God. You say, but I'm not a Bible scholar. And you know what? I'll be honest with you, Pastor. I don't really read my Bible because a few years ago I tried and I, I took my King James Bible and I was reading Habakkuk chapter 2 and boy, <laughs> I, I was just baffled. I didn't mean anything to me. I was so confused. I didn't even... I didn't even understand. It made me feel stupid, to be honest. So I just figure I'll let the experts deal with that and you guys can teach me. And that's how a lot of us feel. And I get that. So let me give you some advice. Start where you are. You're not a Bible scholar, never had a class in Greek or Hebrew, don't know how to do exegesis like the pros, no problem. Get a Bible that is in a modern American translation. I recommend the New American Standard. I recommend the New Century version. There's a lot of good versions out there. You could get an NIV. There are a lot of good versions of Scripture. Get a version that you can understand when you read it, and then sit down and read it. Are you going to understand every detail of it the same way that a professor of theology does? Probably not, and you might be better off. I know a lot of professors of theology. You might be better off. But start where you are. And here's the other thing. Don't go it alone. Here's what I highly recommend. Get a Bible buddy. Get somebody. It might be your spouse. It might be your parent. It might be a friend at church. Get somebody and go through the Bible together. Just pick a book. I don't care what book you pick. Gospel of Matthew, the book of James, the Proverbs. Pick a book. doesn't matter. 
and just agree you're going to do a chapter a week and you're going to meet every Tuesday for bagel and coffee and you're going to talk about what you learned and you're going to ask questions to each other, you're going to find the Word of God come alive just because you're sharing it with someone and they're sharing it with you and you're going to get questions answered. And when you don't have the answers to the questions, go ahead and ask somebody who's more trained and more expert than you are. We all know somebody like that. Go find that person and ask them. I recommend Ricky. I can give you his phone number. <laughs> but you can always seek help from somebody who's further along in the journey than you are. But guys, if we as the body of Christ do not take seriously our responsibility to feed on the word of God so that we have real discernment, we're in big trouble. Because I've talked to too many people who tell me they have the gift of discernment. And what they mean is, you know, I could tell what people's motives are, and I know what's going on that they're not telling me. I just have this sense for things. Guys, that is just baloney. There's nothing in the Bible about that. You know what real discernment is? Real discernment is knowing the Scripture so well that when you run into false teaching, you recognize it. That's discernment. You want the ability to discern the spirits? Get in the Word. Learn what God is teaching us, because the stakes are too high for the people of God to remain ignorant of his truth. People are being led astray by the millions. And I think it's time that as the body of Christ, we collectively put our foot down and we say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And in order to do that, we will learn to live by his word. And as God fills us with his word, the balance of his Holy Spirit and the word of God, we will be able to walk in the newness of life that God promises us. Let's stand together and we'll pray.